I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an entertainment podcast, and the research we do may come from semi-unreliable sources. Welcome to Research Rebuttal Podcast. It's the podcast where two stubborn friends prove each other wrong. Each week, one of us will be the researcher and one of us will be the guesser. I'm Rachel Teichman, and this is Paige Dempster. Hello. And today, we're going to discuss environmentally friendly cooking oil and obscure Olympic sports. I'll be your researcher today, and Paige will be the guesser. Let's get rebutted. Hey, Paige. Hello. How's it going? Uh, okay. I'm feeling feisty today, though, and I think you already know that, so this should be a good episode. Yeah, I think so, too. You know what would help slick down that feistiness? (laughs) What is that? Cooking oil. Okay, that was an interesting segue. I don't know how I feel about it, actually. Uh, that's okay. You don't have to know how you feel about it. Okay. We're asking the question, which cooking oils are the most environmentally friendly? Yeah, I find this an interesting question. I don't know a lot about cooking oil. Why are we talking about this? Um, I think this was one of my topic ideas. Every, like, few weeks or so, I'll go into Google Docs and I'll just, like, empty my brain onto it with things that I've been curious about but have not Googled. So that's how we've gotten here. The same goes for the Olympics, actually, the Olympics topic. Well, what is your go-to cooking oil? Well, you should know this, but it is olive oil because that's what I grew up using because my family is extremely Italian and it's all I've ever known. That is usually my go-to cooking oil as well, although I use other ones for other purposes. I've been taught that like cooking with canola oil is the devil. I don't... (laughs) You made a face there. It's not true, but I just, I still avoid it. What is so bad about it to you? Apparently, it's not as healthy for you as olive oil can be, potentially. And yeah, that's that's the basis for my argument. Well, before we figure out which cooking oils are the most environmentally friendly, the counter to this is which oils are the least environmentally friendly and why? Can you list them? Okay, I think I might actually know a little bit about this because of past episodes we've done. I know palm oil is bad because it's not as sustainable. I know soybean oil, I believe, can also be problematic for the same reason. Um, I can't think of any other ones. I imagine maybe, is grapeseed oil a thing? Grapeseed oil is a thing. I imagine that can be problematic because aren't grapes hard to cultivate? So that might be an issue. Are grapes hard to cultivate? They can be. Well, okay, maybe because grapes can potentially be difficult to cultivate, they can be problematic to make oil out of. Okay, you were right about palm oil, and uh, I think you said canola, right? I said soybean. Soybean, yeah. 
Okay, so some others are canola, corn, cottonseed, uh, non-organic olive oil, and avocado oil. So those oils are widely used cooking oils, but they're also problematic. Wait a minute. Did you say cottonseed oil? I did say cottonseed oil. People cook with that? That is an oil used for human consumption. I don't... I've never heard of that. Well, did you know that canola oil is from rapeseed? No. There you go. There's all kinds of oils that were So, yeah, it basically comes down to unsustainability. Like, for palm oil, um, it's because millions of acres of rainforest are cut down every year. And this is problematic for a few reasons. As I'm sure you know, it uh, causes destruction to vital habitats, like for orangutans and other species. And also, it's environmentally unjust for humans because indigenous people lose their villages and their livelihoods because of the deforestation. Yeah, that's... I was about to say a bad word. That's bad. That That is bad. That's bad word. Yeah, and then, like, non-organic canola, soy, corn, and cottonseed, those are the most problematic for their category because pesticides are pretty widely used and then the pesticides of course go into the water supply and other fun issues such as human rights human well-being you know yeah all that fun stuff so hang on what about organic makes it better we'll get to that in a couple minutes okay now non-organic olive oil can you figure out why for that category it's problematic it's not the pesticide thing well, that's part of it. But there's more? There's more. But wait, there's more. For olive oil specifically? Yes. Okay. Um, maybe too many of the olives are taken away for putting on pizzas as a crappy, crappy topping. And then there's not enough to make like actual olive oil and it jacks the price up. First of all, I love olives on pizza. Olives can go to hell. I'm sorry. They do not belong on pizza. The other reason is, so yeah, it's pesticides and herbicide runoff, but also soil erosion and even bigger or maybe equally big, but slightly different is it uses so much water that it's turning regions into desert. Oh my God. I completely forgot about stuff like that. Similar stuff happens with avocados. Yeah. I watched like a big old avocado documentary a few months ago and avocados are like destroying Chile because they need so much water and they take all the water and then people can't have the water. Yeah, that's the big problem with avocado in Chile. And then in Mexico, the big problem is basically avocado gangs. And so there's a lot of violence against people from other people. Yeah, so... That's the problem with avocados in Mexico. So when you can try to get them from California, however, it's still not good for the environment because it's still using up a ton of water, a ton of resources. And basically, if you want to be socially just, stop buying avocados. That said, I am not perfect. I am on the no more avocado train, although they do sometimes find their way into my food. Do your best. Figure out what changes you can apply to your life yes what's the problem with avocado oil 
I feel like we just discussed a lot of it. Well, though, that's about the avocado industry in general, but I'm talking specifically about the environmental impact from avocado oil. Now, a lot of those same issues apply, so. I don't... I'm like ruminating what in the fresh hell it could possibly be. I know you are. <laughs> Is it because... I know when I was watching the documentary, because the farmers had to produce so many avocados, it was pushing a bunch of other produce off to the side. Like there was this one lady who like loved lemons and growing lemons, but she couldn't grow lemons anymore because she had to grow avocados to make a living. So then she couldn't grow lemons anymore and she was sad. Is it because it's like pushing other produce to the side? I mean, that's like part of it. Um it's it's essentially just it's another large scale monocrop which contributes to deforestation. Got it. Got it. Yeah. True or false? Vegetable oil is environmentally better than palm oil. That's a toughie. Right? True. False. Really? Really. It's because if the industry switched to vegetable oil, which is comprised of combinations of what we talked about before, like canola, soy, corn, etc., there would be even more deforestation to grow the crops to make the vegetable oil. Can vegetable oil just be made out of like any old vegetable or does it have to be a combination of like the ones we've discussed? So here's the thing about that. There are various types of vegetable oils. Lots of things can be categorized as a vegetable oil. Like olive oil is a vegetable oil. Oh. And avocado oil, I would argue, is a vegetable oil. But when we refer to the generic term vegetable oil, at least in the United States, it's typically talking about like a combination of canola, soy, and others. Okay. Avocado is not a vegetable, though. Well, olives aren't a vegetable either. They're a fruit, but they're culinary vegetables. I guess. Soybean is a legume. Legume. <laughs> Why do you pronounce it like that? Because it's a legume. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the kind of person that calls it coupon instead of coupon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like think about that for a sec. Yeah. Why do you pronounce it like that? <laughs> I would like to thank my mom and my dad for this award. <laughs> Nancy. That's pronouncing it like that is definitely a Nancy thing and not like a Jack thing. <laughs> anyway, so soybeans are also not vegetables, but culinarily speaking, it's a it's a vegetable. Okay. You're right. What traits makes an oil ethical toward humans? Um, environmentally sustainable. That's big one. Um, the people who harvest it are getting paid enough to live. Um, I hear shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, we have a rabbit and she's causing shenanigans over at Rachel's house. Yeah, she, uh, she knew what she was doing wrong. And once she knew I was watching, she kind of stopped. Oh, Let's see. So I said, environmentally sustainable. People get paid a living wage for harvesting it. What else? There's no, well, how you were talking about with like the avocado gangs, there's none of that involved. Um, 
there's no trafficking of labor involved. Eh, that's all I can think of. Yeah, you're basically right. Uh, to condense it down into some terms, the traits that makes an oil ethical toward humans is it's organic, fair trade, unrefined, and cold pressed. Cold pressed? Cold pressed. That's the kind of olive oil I get. So I'm doing my part. We'll talk about that. Uh-oh. What traits makes an oil environmentally friendly? Uh, okay, doesn't erode the soil. Maybe some perennials. Um, that's a term, right? <laughs> I know what you're saying. It's, yeah. you're, you're suggesting uh, companion crops. Yes. Yes. So yeah, doesn't screw up the soil if it stays there too long. Yeah. Um, doesn't throw the ecosystem out of balance because I imagine that can certainly be a thing. Um, yeah, that's all I can think of. Yes. And to condense it down, it would be organic and fair trade. Fair trade. Or that's a term I have to incorporate into my vocabulary. But do you know exactly what it means? No. That's for another episode. Okay. I was just going to look it up when we were done, but okay. Are any inexpensive grocery store oils environmentally friendly? My gut instinct is to say no, but I have a feeling this is a trick question and that there are some, I just, maybe some organic vegetable oil. I'll say that. You should assume that any inexpensive grocery store oil is not environmentally friendly. Darn it. Um, yeah, so the thing about grocery store inexpensive oils especially when it comes to things like olive oil and this is going slightly off topic and it's it's a good topic for a different episode but when it comes to olive oil what you get in america especially when it's inexpensive is typically not as advertised in what regard with regard to like how it's classified and you just you're typically not getting what you think you're getting, and it's usually a much lower quality than they make it seem, especially with how they label the, the bottles. So if it says, I've seen something like this similar, like at the dollar store that I go to, I've seen virgin olive oil, but it's not extra virgin olive oil cold pressed. Well, there's a difference between virgin olive oil and extra virgin olive oil, and one isn't necessarily better than the other, even okay. though one is more expensive than the other. They're okay. just they're both better for different uses. Okay, let it be known that again, I do not know a lot about oil. Yeah, so like I said, the whole olive oil thing should be its own episode. So you should assume that any oil that you're getting, especially from the dollar store and not specifically a grocery store, is not going to be environmentally friendly. Okay, good to know. Because oh. the oils that are environmentally friendly are, like we said, organic, fair trade, unrefined, and cold pressed. So if it's not labeled with those things, then it's not the best choice. However... From a human standpoint, oil is expensive and people need to cook, people need to buy oil. And I don't think this is a case of most effective thing to do is to stop. So in this case, even though like a lot of cases, the most effective thing is to stop buying things to tell the companies this is bad. I don't think this is a case where that's very feasible. So yeah. You kind of need oil. Well, you don't need oil, but like it is something you tend to use a lot. A it's lot a for a lot of people. Yeah. 
it's for sure a staple. So I don't know exactly what the best way to combat this is. Um, I would probably say legislation and enforcement of that legislation. Yeah, because, you know, not everyone can afford to buy like the expensive yet ethical and environmentally friendly oil. Exactly. And that goes on to a whole bigger discussion of (laughs) social justice being a thing for privileged people to participate in. That's a whole other thing that I won't rant about at this moment. Now it's time for a word from our sponsors. Are you sick of environmental injustice? Are your human rights being tarnished because of big oil? Big cooking oil, that is. Then you need a better president. Go to your polling place or mail in your vote because mail-in voting is a legitimate form. Request your ballot today. Election day is coming up. Get a better president. Demand better oils. Vote in the 2020 election. This message was brought to you by the Human Rights Commission on Environmentally Friendly Oil and the American Citrus Association. Hey, Paige. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. How do you feel about your uh, vote this election season in order to support environmentally friendly cooking oil? I already mailed in my ballot and I can't wait for environmentally friendly and ethically sourced oil going to be a wonderful election season oh it's gonna be a rough one you could almost say it's spooky i suppose halloween is around the corner yeah halloween is around the corner and um you know we we both love spooky season yes we do love spooky season i'm drinking tea right now out of a pumpkin shaped mug i see it and it's adorable you know what comes up shortly after spooky season this is quite a segue. Um, election day? Well, Dia de los Muertos? Even after that. It's shortly after election day. And shortly after Thanksgiving. Christmas? The Winter Olympics. Oh, okay. And right now we're going to talk about obscure Olympic sports. I'm very excited for this. I can't wait to see what you came up with. I've included four sports in this conversation because any more than that would take forever. Primarily going to talk about how they're played, but with some other fun facts thrown in. Okay. Can you guess which four sports we're going to talk about? Please tell me you include curling. Yeah, that's one. Yes. Um, Are we talking specifically the Winter Olympics or just? Two winter, two summer. Okay. Um, is the second winter one luge? No. No, I like luge. (sighs) See, this is a hard one for me because I'm one of the people that doesn't actually tune in to watch the Olympics, so I don't know a lot about modern day Olympics. Well, you have three sports to guess. Um, okay. So, my other winter guess is ice skating, but putting skates on your hands and then doing handstand ice skating. My summer guesses are the paddy toss, which was featured in SpongeBob. Little do people know that that is, in fact, an actual Olympic sport. And chicken parma wrestling. I like your guesses. Thank you. They're incorrect. As to be expected. In addition to curling, the other sports are skeleton 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 spooky spooky okay we're in spooky season bros yeah and the summer sports are canoeing oh and 
equestrian. Oh, horses? Yeah. <laughs> nice. What's your favorite sport to watch or play? And it, it doesn't have to be Olympic, but it can be. I mean, I don't really play sports anymore, but when we were in high school, I liked uh, floor hockey and like racquetball. Floor hockey was fun because I could body check people, though. True. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some good sports, although I don't know as much about them as I do about others, like yeah. powerlifting. What were your favorite sports? Oh, back then? Yeah. Well, when I was younger, I loved soccer, and although I was very bad at it. <laughs> well, I was a good goalie until... Yeah, but you were bad at everything else. <laughs> That's not 100% true. You, like, were, you were an okay forward. When I was like younger, I was a really good goalie until we got old enough that kids started to realize just how much bigger they were than me. <laughs> and that's when they started kicking the ball like way above my head. I, I mean, just beyond reach. And then once that started, yeah, they started to put me on forward, which I didn't like because I don't like running, but I was like still fearless. And so like I was this tiny warrior and I would just run up to the other girls and steal the ball. And they were just like, are you serious? Like, are you actually doing that right yeah, now? See, you were a good forward. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why everybody was so afraid to actually play the game, but eh. yeah, okay. so uh, soccer and tennis were kind of my thing. So back to the Olympics, what is skeleton? Can you give your best guess? Um, so you take some bones, right? And then you just, you put them in the freezer. You got to put them in the freezer for the whole two years it takes between like summer and winter Olympics. Okay. okay. Then that's, that's the ritual. You can't break the ritual. When they're ready, you take them out. And you put them on the ground, and you have to walk across them without rolling them. What kind of bones are they? They're cow bones. They're cow bones? Cow bones. Wow. Like, the person who gets the gold medal is awarded with, like, this huge, like, rack of cow ribs. And they have to eat all of them. And then, like, the ribs, when they're done, those are the ones that they use for the next Olympics. So what you're saying is if you're a vegan, don't play this sport. If you're you're not allowed to play this sport if you're a vegan or a vegetarian. Oh, that seems a little discriminatory. It is discriminatory. That's why it's so obscure. So it's time to get rebutted. Thank you. Skeleton is a sled type of sport hmm. where you lie face down and forward, like head first on a sled on an ice track. So it's basically everything they taught us not to do on the playground slide is this sport. It kind of sounds like luge, actually. Yeah, because it is a sled sport. So there are some similarities in that. But it's one of those sports where you gain speed from gravity as well. I'm into that. I, I love sledding and I love danger. That's actually not really true. I love sledding and I love danger. I love the wrong kind of danger. Anyway. Anyway, why is it called skeleton? Is it because you need to have like a really small frame, both of body and of sled to move faster? Kind of. It's called skeleton most likely because the appearance of the sled is kind of small and slim compared to other sledding sports. Oh, cool. Yeah, it has like a bony appearance. And that's the best guess as to why it's called skeleton. Which, by the way, uh, my resources for this section of the episode are all from Wikipedia. 
Oh, okay. Good to know. I decided that Wikipedia was like acceptable because these are very mainstream topics. Yeah, that's fine. Anyway, how is it different from other from the other sled sports in the Olympics? Um, do they allow body checking? No. Oh, um, is it different by like they don't race, they go individually? Yeah, kind of. Oh, okay. That was just a wild guess. Yeah, so it's different in t- in two fundamental ways. Um, it's single riders, like you said. So instead of multiple people on a sled, it's just one. And they get a running start. Ooh, that adds like a whole element of just- Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I it makes it like skateboardy. That's cool. Okay, so I'm going to watch. Do they have Winter Olympics this year? So fun fact, for the first time, I think ever, they are postponing the Olympics rather than just canceling them, but they're keeping the name 2020 Olympics, even though it'll be in 2021. Now, that's I think that's for the Summer Olympics. I don't know if this applies to the Winter Olympics. Well, I'm kind of glad they're doing that because I don't know if you've seen the logo for the Summer Olympics, but it is beautiful. They did a really good job with it this year. You know, that could be why they're keeping it. I certainly hope that's why. True or false? Skeleton is the fastest of the sled sports. True. False. (sighs) It's less aerodynamic than the other sled sports in the Olympics because it's head first, face down instead of feet first, face up. Hmm. So it makes you go slower. I don't know the science behind that, but I guess that makes sense. Aerodynamics. Yeah. Where did skeleton originate? Sweden. No. Wait, no. No, no. It can't be Sweden. Why not? (laughs) I don't think Sweden has enough hills. Norway. Norway's got some hills. Are you ready? No. No, hang on. (laughs) Are you ready for the truth? Can I have a hint? You're not that far off. But it is Europe. Yes. It's like cold Europe. Yeah, I think so. Finland. Switzerland. Dang it. St. Moritz, Switzerland. St. Moritz. Yep. Time for our next sport. Okay. Curling. Yes. First question, what is curling and how do you feel about it? (laughs) I don't really know that much about curling. I just know there's like a puck and then like, like there's the two teams with the broom and they have to like sweep around the puck, but not like actually push it. They just go whoosh, 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 whoosh around the puck and they have to just keep doing that slowly to score i that's all i really know i know it's on the ice i know it's a team sport and i have strong feelings about it what are they of strong positive but confused feelings okay so this is a direct quote The way it's played is players slide stones on a sheet of ice toward a target area, which is segmented into four concentric circles. Okay. The stones are made of granite, and they're called rocks, and they are slid (laughs) up. The stones are made of granite, and they're called rocks? Yes. (laughs) I had the same reaction. 
Don't forget to bleep that out. <laughs> it gets even wilder from here, so. Continue. Yeah, so the granite stones are called rocks and they're slid across the ice curling sheet. Okay. To the house. <laughs> think is that what they call the goal it's not even a goal it's <laughs> it's it's like a painted like marked off circle on the ice okay. like two, like two-dimensional <laughs> what country came up with this again i don't have that information <laughs> i that's there was there's just not enough time to go into the history of a lot of these sports so i don't know the country of origin they're geniuses. How many teams are there and how many players are on each team? How by how many teams do you mean like how many league like how many like teams from separate countries come to compete or how many teams play like in a match? Yeah. Like against each other. I'm my general guess is between two and four. It's two. Ah. And yeah, and how many players are on each team? Six. Four. Oh, tiny teams. Tiny teams. Ooh, hit that rock. <laughs> how many stones are there? <laughs> I thought they were called rocks. <laughs> how many rocks are there? Only one. Each team has eight rocks. Oh. And each player throws two. Ooh. What's the objective? To get the rock in the house. Yes, but what does getting the rock in the house do? You get a point. Yes, so the objective is to accumulate the most points. Yeah. And you kind of just said it, but how are points accumulated? By putting the rock in the house. Yeah, so the stones closest to the center of the house are scored higher. Okay, that makes sense. Now I'm going to throw a curveball at you. All right. What is the curl? What is the curl? What is the curl? Is the curl the tool that they use to move the rock? No. Is it the sheet of ice? No. Is it what's in their hair? The curl is when the player throws the stone or the rock in a curved path, which makes it slowly turn as it slides. Oh. So it's kind of like the ground version of a baseball curveball. Interesting. Okay. Because the ball like rotates as it's going. I gotcha. I get the analogy. Or I guess a better analogy would be like in bowling when you make the ball do like do the, the curve. Yeah. yeah, do the spin. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a better a better comparison. Who are the people with the brooms and what's their deal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they take the <laughs> they go next to the next to the rock and they go whoosh 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 around it. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to like reverse the spin and slow it down. Kind of. 
Okay. Sweeping the rock decreases friction, which makes the stone go straighter and longer, making it the most homophobic sport possible. Oof. Okay. Maybe curlies and all that. That That's the deal with the people with the brooms. It's a very team sport of all the team sports because it requires a lot of strategy and everybody really has to work together and it's very strategic. Apparently it's been called like the chess of the winter sports. Really? Yeah. I have not been giving curling enough credit. I'm going to have to watch it. You should. And the next time it's on, I'm going to watch it. It's time for our next sport. Okay. Canoeing. Yeah. Why is canoeing included in this episode? I mean, I've seen, like, canoeing is one of the, like, more obscure sports I've actually seen people do. It is intense. Like, they go stroke, 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 and, like, they're canoeing at, like, 20 miles an hour, and, like, they're all in their little boats, and they're all, like, working in unison, and I imagine, like, all rowing at the exact same time is very difficult and definitely takes practice to do and like god forbid you have to turn like it is difficult to canoe it is really difficult to canoe the reason that i listed it is everybody talks about rowing as a sport but nobody specifically talks about canoeing ah yeah there are two types of canoeing games but we're gonna talk about the canoe sprint the canoe sprint. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. So what are the main distances of the sprints in the Olympics? 100 meter. No. Really? Really. More or less. Well, there's three different ones that we're mentioning. 50. No. 200. Yes. 200, 400, 600. 200, 500, 1,000. Makes sense. Are kayaks allowed in canoeing no kayaks allowed this is canoes only it's time to get rebutted kayaks are allowed unfortunately kayaks <laughs> are allowed in canoeing but it's a kayak yeah but that's not the sport right clearly you have negative feelings about this i'm already confused kayaking is allowed in the olympic sport of canoeing Okay. No. That's how I feel, too. Yeah. How does the kayak version work? Because it's a little bit different from when you're in a canoe. Maybe in kayaking, you can't do it with two people. You're only allowed to do it by yourself. So this is a quote. In a kayak, the paddler is seated in the direction of travel and uses a double-bladed paddle. Kayaks have a rudder for steering and course adjustment, which is operated by the feet of the paddler in the front. So there's multiple oh, wow. people, it looks okay. like. How does it work in the canoe? Well, canoeing, I think you have to be facing away from the direction of travel. And instead of a double-bladed paddle, you have to use two oars. Kind of. So another quote, um, in the canoe, the paddler kneels on one knee with the other leg forward and a foot flat on the floor of the boat and paddles a single-bladed paddle on one side only with what is known as the J-stroke to control the boat's direction. Oh, I know what that is. I know how to do it. I can't, I mean, I can't describe it, obviously, but it's like... 
<laughs> I know what you mean. I'm moving my hand for Rachel. I was off screen. Well, you get the idea. So those are the primary differences. Like on the base level, you're right. Like the canoe uses two paddles per person. Kayak is one. It still bothers me that kayaks are even allowed. Yeah. I mean, I guess as long as there's no speed advantage, I suppose it's fine. Well, I think that in a match, in like a race, you're not going to see both kayaks and canoes. I think you're either in a canoe race or a kayak race. Oh, that makes way more sense. Like, you can't be like, this person brought a kayak to a canoe fight, you know? One time in college, I went on a field trip kayaking. Yeah. I just think it's cool that for a sociology class, we were told, go kayaking. We never got, like, we never get to go on any fun field trips. There are always two museums. I went on two field trips in college, both for the same professor. One was kayaking and one was to the dump. And <laughs> to the dump, to the dump, to the dump, dump, dump. I gotta say, these were like excellent field trips. Oh, uh, you're lucky. But in all of the time that I was at school, those were the only two. A few years ago for my graphic design two class, we went to like a shipyard. That's cool. It, it wasn't that fun though, because oh. like we went there and the professor was like, okay, draw things. And I was like, but I don't want to draw things. I want to go look at boats. And I ended up stealing a pencil. Wow. <laughs> See, at the dump, we were given color-changing pencils. You were given? Yeah, remember those D.A.R.E. pencils? Yeah. That, yeah, we were exactly given those. I was thinking of. We were given those, but with the name of the dump on it. I would much rather a pencil with the dump name on it than the D.A.R.E. pencil. And this is very obscure, but at this particular garbage and recycling processing center... There's, like, a whole colony of bald eagles. You told me about that. <laughs> yeah, and so we were on this bus, and as we were, like, taking a tour of the dump, there were all these bald eagles around. It's, like, the most American dump in the country. It was very representative. All we had was, like, a colony of wasps living in one of the boat models. That is also a metaphor for something, but I don't know what. <laughs> I don't either. Tell me about equestrian. How did you know equestrian was next? Because process of elimination. We've already talked about the three. Oh, you're right. We did do three. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. First, did you know that equestrian was an Olympic sport? Because I didn't. I knew that horses were in the Olympics in some regard, but I didn't know they had their own dedicated sport. They do. And there's a couple. Uh, we're just going to talk about one of them. But have you ever ridden a horse? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, those like petting zoo things. Oh, like pony rides. Yeah. Yeah. I've never ridden like a horse horse, but I've ridden like a little baby horse. I have had the opportunity to go horseback riding several times on family vacation to a budget-friendly dude ranch in New York State. A budget-friendly dude ranch. It's a budget-friendly dude ranch family resort. Are you talking about the Rocking Horse Ranch by any chance? That No, Rocking Horse Ranch was much more expensive. 
Oh, uh, okay. So we didn't go to that one. We looked into it. Okay, I've actually been there before. <laughs> yeah, this is similar to Rocking Horse Ranch, but um, it's just a different location. We went there before the recession. <laughs> so. Yeah, we were going to this place pre-recession. I just remember that the that the price difference for a family of four was like very significant. Oh yeah, no, that place was nice. Yeah, um, yeah. So I actually like got to the left over the course of the few years that we went there i actually got to the advanced level like i would not call myself an advanced horseback rider (laughs) but for what they had to offer i actually got decent that's pretty cool yeah there's a few different equestrian sports in the olympics but we're going to talk about what's known as dressage which to be honest i knew absolutely nothing about before this I have an idea of what it is because of something very obscure that I'll explain later. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then what is dressage? Is that like when the horse walks like really nicely and they judge it? Basically, yes. (laughs) There's a little more to it than that, but that is basically it. I can't believe I actually knew that. Just like, do you want me to explain why I know that? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Okay, there's a game, a pretty famous game that I play called Overwatch. Sure. And one of the characters I like to play is named Arisa, and she's like a robotic centaur. She has a humanoid top part and like four horse legs on the bottom, and you can emote in the game, and one of the emotes for her is dressage, and she walks in like a really straight line all prettily. So that's why I know that. Nerd. I'm nerds. I'm such a nerd. I've like seen clips of dressage. I've never like watched it in the Olympics, but I've seen it in pop culture. I just didn't know that that's what it was called. I didn't know it was an Olympic sport. It is. I just thought it was something that like posh people with horses do. It is. Oh my god. Yeah, I wish. I I love horses. I love horseback riding. I will never be able to afford that kind of thing. No. So, yeah, you're basically right. Uh, Quote, dressage is the highest expression of horse training. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, same. And it's where horse and rider are expected to perform from memory a series of predetermined movements. Okay. And it's actually pretty impressive. Like, it is on its most basic level, horses doing pretty things, but it requires the horse to have athletic ability because for some of it, they are running and jumping. And it also depends on their temperament and the rider's ability in relationship to their horse. It's pretty involved. It's actually pretty complicated. Interesting. Yeah, because the horse has to, like, be composed while making these movements. Yeah. How is it scored? Probably similarly to gymnastics, I would imagine. Like, how was the gallop? How was the ending pose? They, like, there's judges, like, very specifically trained to, like, judge dressage. And they just judge you on how you look, which is not something you should do for real life but it's something that you should do for Olympics. 
Yeah, basically, each movement is scored from zero to ten. And um, more specifically on what you said about the judges, there are judges and um, they have to be they have to have experience in dressage and they have to, you know, know all the stuff. And there is a scribe for the judges. And so the judges keep a careful eye on the movements and watching the sport. And so they say their scores and their comments out loud for the scribe. Ah, gotcha. And according to Wikipedia, the scribe must be smartly dressed. Smartly dressed. Smartly dressed, and they shouldn't make comments while this is going on. Because it could, like, it could change the judge's judgment. So, bow ties. Perhaps. My my mind says bow ties. And the the rider themselves, they have to look effortless. They have to appear completely relaxed and they have to appear as if they're doing as little as possible and make it look like it's just the horse doing everything. So like ballet. Yeah, kind of. So the person is doing like ballet things of look of making everything look effortless and the horse is doing gymnastics. Yeah, I would even argue that the horse is the one doing the ballet and the rider is the one who looks effortless. Wow. Fascinating. What score is needed to move on to the next round? Seven. Going back to SpongeBob days. Six. Six. Woo! With a 60% overall. Okay. That seems doable. Perhaps. I don't I mean, know. I'm not I've never I tried. Could, I'm not saying I could jump on a horse and get a six and go move on to round two, but, you know. Yeah. That's a D minus required. So that's pretty low standards. C's get degrees, man. Unless you're a science major, then C's get degrees. Unless you're a science major, C stands for science. (laughs) How many people compete at once? It's not just like one after the other? It is. Oh, so one. Right, it's one. Okay. So... Well, the trick here is it's one person with one horse at a time, but they're all scored against each other. Yeah, that makes right. sense. Like gymnastics. Like gymnastics. Yeah. For our final segment of this episode, name the Olympic movements within dressage. Oh, no. Um, the prance. The gallivant. <laughs> um, Keep going. <laughs> the whinny, the hoof click, the gallop, the canter, the, the, no, it's not strutting as chickens, um, the head toss, the leap, the land, and the carousel. I like every single one of them. Thank you. Did I actually get any? No. <laughs> But a lot of them sort of parallel. I The gallivant is not one of them. No, it's not. It sounds like it should be. My favorite that you said is the carousel because, I, I mean, you'll understand why in a second. Okay. So the movements are, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this one correctly, but the piaf, spelled P-I-A-F-F-E. It's, I think it's French. I don't know. Uh, the passage, extended gates as in G-A-I-T-S for walking, collected gates, flying changes, the half pass, 
and wait for it the pirouette the pirouette it's right it, what it's is exactly it? what it sounds like is it a pirouette like a spit no yeah that's why so that's like the parallel to the carousel so the horse spins Yes, and I wanted to look this up, like, to see a video of it, but I didn't, and um, that's something we can do post-episode, because I'm very curious about it. Because the way, what I'm picturing is, like, crazy, and I don't even know if it's possible. I would love to see a horse spin, like, not attached to a carousel, are you kidding me? Right. I need to see what this is. Exactly. I don't know. So... Yeah, that about does it for this episode of Research Rebuttal Podcast. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at Research Rebut, and on Instagram and Facebook at Research Rebuttal Podcast. You can email us at researchrebuttalpodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions. Tell us your favorite Olympic sport. Yeah, tell us your favorite Olympic sport. And tell us what is your favorite cooking oil. Is it environmentally friendly? And um, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Citrus Commission and the Human Rights Commission on Environmentally Friendly Food Justice Cooking Oil. And No, no, you can't. It's not the Citrus Commission. We talked about this. It's the American Citrus Association. They said we can't get it wrong anymore. Cut the episode. (laughs) Cut it quickly. Don't forget to vote for someone who supports environmentally friendly cooking oil. Yeah. Happy election season. Make of it what you can. Go get your flu shot. Please do. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.